Amen. We have your Bibles opened up there to Genesis 48. We're looking forward to uh, wrapping up our our Genesis series. We're on now the, the home stretch here of chapter 48. I'll be preaching next week in, in chapter 49, and Pastor uh, Dave Welch will be um, bringing it home with, with chapter 50 in, in just a few weeks. That will transition us into um, the second week of December, where we'll have three weeks of really Christmas focus, um, focusing on uh, the Messiah, focusing on Christ, taking on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so during that December Advent season, we'll have an opportunity to uh, have three standalone uh, sermons as we work our way through the month of December, and we're very much looking forward to that time as well. But this evening, I have entitled... Uh, our message, simply a mature faith. A mature faith. We are in the tail end, not only of the book of Genesis, but the tail end of Jacob's life, right? We have Jacob here in chapter 48, literally on his deathbed. In this coming chapter, chapter 49, we will see him pass on. Uh, and so we have here these these final days of Jacob and Uh, how precious these chapters are as we get to see Jacob's faith in in full blossom. Uh, We get to see uh, Jacob uh, exercise and take action in his faith in a very mature, tangible way as he interacts with Joseph and uh, his sons here in in chapter 48. And, And I don't know about you, but this chapter is so encouraging to me. As we can think back in previous chapters and we can remember what an absolute hot mess Jacob has been at times, right? How he has literally just fallen flat on his face. He's failed in so many different ways. He's, he's been a deceiver. He's been a, a, a conniving uh, individual. He's been um, many times a disconnected and distant father. Uh, he's many times taken on this disposition of, of woe is me and I'm just a victim of these horrible circumstances and many years of his life just seem to be lost in this cycle of him not understanding really his purpose and his role as the patriarch of this family. And so we have this, this process that is unfolded here as The sons have gone back and forth from Egypt and Jacob has been layered into these conversations and these processes. And we've seen Jacob start to flex some of these faith muscles and he started to work them out in new ways that maybe he hadn't in a long time as he had been beat down by circumstances, by the famine, by the perceived loss of his of his wife and his son and just was quite frankly a mess. But here we have Jacob in chapter 48, in all of, I should say, his glory, but in reality, it is God's glory. It is all of God's glory that we see here in chapter 48 as he is working in and through the life of Jacob to redeem his life and to redeem his time, to redeem his legacy and his influence in his home and uh, in, with his sons and now his grandsons as well. And so this evening we find ourselves confronted with the reality of God's grace working in the life of Jacob. And it is encouraging 
or it should be encouraging for all of us because we all need to believe that God is not done with us yet. That he's still working on all of us. He's still changing us. He's still um, sanctifying us. He's still working us, conforming us less to the world and more to his, his likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna see God's grace working in the life of Jacob. I don't know about you, we've been in Genesis now for over two years. And uh, if we're not careful, we can, I think it's been about two years, hasn't it? Close to it? I think I think it was. So I, I think it's been I think it's been close to that. Regardless, it's been a long time. Uh, I, I, I'm losing track on, on my months and my years. I apologize, but it's been a long time. If we're not careful in this home stretch, we can lose sight of the riches that we have here in Genesis, and we know we're on the home stretch, and we can just kind of yeah yeah we get it. Jacob dies. There's blessings. And we can, we can move on to Christmas time, right? And we can sing those Christmas carols and our Advent season, our Christmas messages. But let's be mindful right here in Genesis 48, as it has been each and every week, we have the inspired and errant word of God. And we are so looking forward to what God's word has for us this evening. So I don't know if you've felt some of the pandemic fatigue Right, we're, We were all ready to be done with masking. Now, guess what? We have to have more masks. We were, to, we were looking forward to less regulations, and now we're slipping back into a season where we have more regulations, and we can just kind of be fed up with it. In a similar sense, I hope you're not falling into the trap of having Genesis fatigue. Um, and, and so stay with us. We're going to cross the finish line in due season, but here this evening, we want to unpack this mature faith, this mature faith of, of Jacob. What was a disappointing, neglectful, and fearful father, father has come now full circle as we see God's grace abundantly working in his life. It reminds me of, of Paul's prayer in uh, Colossians chapter number one and in verse number nine, Paul prays this for the church as we consider this idea of a mature faith. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul goes on to say, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae was for them to what? To mature in their walk with the Lord, for them to grow in their knowledge of the Lord. Paul, in, in a similar sense, in the book of Ephesians, to his letter to uh, the church at Ephesus in chapter four, verses uh, 11 through 15, Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Our preaching time, even here tonight, is 
to serve that end, right? We, we come and we gather faithfully. Why? So that you can be equipped, but not so that we can just grow for the sake of knowledge, but so that you can use what you've learned and been equipped with to go and to do what? The work of the ministry, great commission living. Paul goes on and he says, the work of the ministry for the purpose of building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. This is the end goal, to be Christ-like and to grow in our understanding of the Word in our relationship with the Lord, to grow to mature manhood. Why should we be concerned about that? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christian maturity matters. It is a, a priority throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. We should be concerned about taking stock and introspection of where we are at in our relationship with the Lord. Just as we unfortunately add a year to our life every year, we get older, we mature, we have new life experiences, we're no longer children, but we grow and we mature, we increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, just as Christ did when he walked this earth, we grow and we mature. I've seen many of our, our, our children and young people here this evening, I can remember years past when you were just little ones, right? And it's fun to see you mature and to grow. And uh, some of you remember me a few years back with a little bit more hair and a few less pounds. We all kind of mature and grow in, in different ways. Uh, but we mature and we grow. And I wonder, in your relationship with God, from your spiritual growth perspective, are you doing just that? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Have you spiritually added an additional year to not just your age, but your maturity, your relationship with God. You have experience that you can lean on and grow. These spiritual disciplines that, that help us, these grace-enabled spiritual disciplines, scripture reading, prayer, guess this, guess what? Christian fellowship, gathering faithfully with the body of Christ, this is all part of what? Us growing in our relationship with the Lord, maturing in our faith. So maturity in our faith, it's kind of a big deal. And as such, we want to evaluate this mature faith of Jacob right here in Genesis chapter 48 in hopes that the grace of God would allow us to continue to grow in our own walk with the Lord. So this brings us to the big idea of our text this evening. It's going to Sounds somewhat familiar from some other big ideas, but this is this, the central themes of, of Genesis continuing to work and unfold as we continue to work our way through this series. But the big idea is this, because God will always be faithful to his covenant promises. 
The mature believer can be confident that God's sovereign plan of redemption will not fail. Because God will always be faithful to his covenant promises, the mature believer excuse me, can be confident that God's sovereign plan of redemption will not fail. Do you see this in the life of Jacob? Do you see the hope? Do you see the confidence continuing to grow chapter after chapter in the life of Jacob? In these final days of his, of his life, Jacob is now exercising a sure type of leadership that we haven't always seen in the past. He's taking ownership. He's taking initiative. He's owning his, his place and his right as the patriarch of the family to pass on these covenant blessings to the next generation. So what has changed? Or maybe we should even say what has progressed in Jacob's life that has allowed Jacob to step out of the shadows of doubt and fear and despair and to take this strong and new disposition of faith in the Lord. What, what's, what's allowed Jacob to do this? It's God's grace. It's simply God's grace at work in Jacob's Life And friends, lest we become too puffed up or lest we become too self-reliant or lest we become deceitful of our own selves and our own hearts, we have no ability in and of ourselves to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We have no ability to save ourselves. We have no ability to maintain that salvation. We certainly have no ability to keep it in of ourselves. It is all the work of Christ and the gospel in his grace that continues to work in our life and allows us to be less like ourselves and less like the world and more like Christ. This is what? Sanctification, being set apart from the world and to Christ. God progressively does this in our life and he uses those spiritual disciplines that we certainly have a responsibility in as well. But it's God's grace working in Jacob's life and it's so beautiful to see. There's hope for us if you may find yourself in a season where you know what, hey, I'm not where I want to be. I'm struggling with the sin. I'm, I'm failing in different ways. Man, I'm not leading my family or my wife in the way that I should or I want to. Kids, you, you know you're struggling with disobedience. You know you're struggling with a bad attitude. You know you're not taking initiative in the home. There's hope for you this evening because God's grace is working in your life. And our failures of today, our failures of yesterday, don't have to define what tomorrow because His, nurse, his mercies are new every morning. And that's a great hope for us. And we see this in Genesis 48, in, in the life of Jacob, that he didn't give up on it. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Jacob's failed too much or too big and in devastating ways. And say, you know what? I need to scrap Jacob and we need to pass on these covenant promises to a new family. He didn't do that. He was faithful to fulfill his covenant promises through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now through Joseph and his sons. 
Ephraim and Manasseh. This is beautiful. God's grace is on full display here as it has been throughout this series. So we're just going to make this evening three simple observations this evening concerning Jacob's mature faith. First observation is this. Jacob's mature faith reminds us to never forget God's promises. Jacob's mature faith reminds us to never forget God's promises. And after this, verse 1, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength, sat up in bed, and Jacob did what? He said to Joseph, God Almighty. Love this. It's here in these opening verses that set the stage for Jacob to put this mature faith on full display. Our first observation concerning Jacob's mature faith is that he absolutely anchors his life on the covenant promises of God. Jacob has been through a lot, has he not? He's been through terrible heartache. Some of it of his own doing, he lost his, his beloved wife. He was deceived by his own sons in thinking that his beloved favorite son, Joseph, was murdered. His life was taken by a wild beast. Decades have passed as he was living in the shadow of this lie. Jacob has experienced much loss. He has the pressure and the weight and the burden of caring for this whole household as now famine has, has struck the land. Jacob's had a lot of trouble. Jacob has learned through that all, though, that the promises of God are worthy of his complete faith. Even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of trouble, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of tragedy and life and death in times of prosperity, in times of testing the promises of God, Jacob has learned will never fail. God will always be faithful to fulfill his covenant promises. Have you heard that a couple times over the last few months? He will always be true to his word, to himself, to his promises. We've seen that in the life of Jacob, have we not? God has been faithful to fulfill his covenant promises generation after generation. Despite their sin, despite their impatience, despite their scheming, despite their lack of faith, has not God been faithful? The answer to that question, I'll answer it, is a resounding yes. He has been faithful. Therefore, Jacob is clinging to these promises. Is there not a time of application for ourselves in our own trouble, in our own difficulty, in the uncertainty of our own life and family and context? Let us cling as well to the promises of God, just as Jacob has done. Let us take hope in that. 
Let us rest in them. Let us run to these promises in our time of need because what? A mature faith never forgets God's promises. This is the first observation of Jacob's now mature faith. He's anchoring his life and his interactions with his family on the promises of God. Verse number three, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and did what blessed me and said to me, behold, I, God, will make you, Jacob, fruitful and multiply you. And I, God, will make of you, Jacob, a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Jacob is looking back at the promises of God and he is once again celebrating those truths. Reminding not only himself by way of testimony, but reminding Joseph and these these two grandsons of his of who God is and the relationship that God has with his people. I love backing up Joseph bringing his two sons to Jacob. And in verse three, the first words out of the mouth of Jacob are what? God Almighty. Don't you love that? If you remember, as we introduced this term, this is uh, the, the name of the Lord that we've seen in previous chapters. This is the El Shaddai, right? This is God Almighty. So Jacob's mature faith certainly reminds us to never forget God's promises. But promises made are only as good as the one who gives them. Right? Who cares about promises if the one who gives them can't back it up, right? These aren't frivolous promises. These aren't vain words that have been spoken to Jacob and passed down from generation to generation. This is the El Shaddai. This is God Almighty. And he is certainly able to back up these promises that he has set forth to generation after generation. Why? Because it is who he is. This God Almighty is the one who spoke all things into existence. And so... Jacob, in his mature faith, is pointing Joseph and his grandsons where? To God. To his promises. Jacob is reminding them of who God is. We're reminded this evening as we reflect back on these promises that there is a supernatural quality to these promises based on the source of which these very great and precious promises flow from. Let me say that one more time. We're reminded that there's a supernatural quality to these promises based on the source of which these very great and precious promises flow from. It is, again, the El Shaddai, God Almighty, who has declared. And when El Shaddai, God Almighty, makes a declaration... Have we not learned throughout Genesis that he is trustworthy and he will bring those promises to fruition? Has he yet to fail? In Genesis, has God 
yet to be faithful to his covenant people? Has he yet to call back the promise? Has he yet to um, be unfaithful? Y'all should die has come through in every case, in every scenario, every circumstance, in his perfect timing, exercising his sovereignty in every situation, bringing about the most glory in this world. What a beautiful testimony for us in the uncertainty of the day that we live right now. Is it not? We can look chapter after chapter, page after page, generation after generation. God who spoke all things into existence has been faithful to his people. As we consider our own time and our own context, God has given us the church. Does he cease to be faithful to his church in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a regulations to wear a mask? Has, has God fallen off his throne as he ceased to be sovereign over all things and all peoples at all times? Because we wear a mask, friends, the, the obvious and rhetorical answer to that question is, is no, God is still good. He's still worthy of our trust. He's still worthy of our confidence. When things don't always make complete sense in this world, we can run to the one whose thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways, says the Lord. The one who is all-knowing. So friends, trust, believe, Hope, be patient, persevere, press on, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because although there are difficult seasons, as we have seen in Jacob's life, although there are times of loss, great heartache, as we've seen in the life of Jacob, he has been faithful. He has been good. He has blessed Jacob in the midst of these difficult times. Let us remember this. Let us reflect. Let us take stock in how God has related to his people of the past and anchor our hearts in that. Because guess what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's good here, if he's faithful here, we can take that to the bank for our own life today in our context, in our time as well. So Jacob takes Joseph and his sons through this journey as he takes some time to reflect back on these promises afresh and anew. And Joseph finishes out this section in verse number seven with somewhat of a, of a sobering reality. Let's look at verse number seven. It says this, as for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now this verse here, verse number seven, excuse me, I said, I guess I said Joseph there, I meant Jacob, right? Jacob is reflecting back on 
uh, this difficult season in his life. This seems to be somewhat of just um, a little bit of a rabbit trail in some ways, right? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily connect with the verses before and after, but yet it's purposeful. It's purposeful as Jacob is reflecting back on the promises of God, as he's reflecting back on the faithfulness of God, he's obviously thinking of some of the most difficult hardships of his life, which would have been for him the loss of Rachel. So maybe there was um, something that Joseph needed to hear there. Maybe it was something that the grandsons needed to hear about this tragic loss that Jacob had. But regardless, Jacob reflects back on this difficult time. But yet we can see God working through that. We can see that this is part of Jacob's story. It's part of God's grace and mercy made manifest in Jacob's life that despite that great loss, that God has still been good. What about us? Does not God oftentimes use the unlikely means of difficulty or loss to draw us to a greater sense of dependency on the Lord? Can you think back of your own life at times of trouble and difficulty and loss and those times are often great seasons of spiritual growth in our maturity and our relationship with the Lord, are they not? Can we give testimony to that? I know I can. So here Jacob is reflecting back on the season of loss, but you see this maturity coming forward in Jacob's perspective as he's even communicating this testimony of great loss. He's not bitter towards God. He's not shaking an angry fist up to heaven and questioning what God was doing back then. His faith in the promises of God, he's unwavering, even in the midst of this great loss of, of Rachel. He simply rests, he simply trusts, he believes that God is still the Almighty, the El Shaddai. Joseph certainly would know this to be true, would he not? He would know that God is the El Shaddai, God Almighty. If there's anybody that would know this testimony to be true, would it not be Joseph? I won't summarize and unpack all of this again, but think back in previous chapters, think about all the trials, the difficulties, the loss that Joseph has had to uh, experience Jacob and, and Joseph know that God is the El Shaddai, the Almighty. Joseph has seen the faithfulness of God come through over and over, and now the covenant promises that were given to Abraham, passed down to Isaac and to Jacob, these promises are now going to be given to Joseph. And these promises then will be passed on even to Joseph's sons as well. So Jacob's mature faith, one, reminds us to never forget God's promises. Second observation is this. Jacob's mature faith reminds us to always believe God for the impossible. Jacob's mature faith reminds us to always believe God 
for the impossible. So as we look at the remainder of of chapter 48, it really centers on Jacob's blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, right? We see in these, these verses a significant shift in Jacob for what we have seen at times in the past. Jacob is sincerely thankful for the goodness of God in his life despite the loss, despite the trouble that this household has experienced. So let's, let's look at verse number, number 11 specifically. I love this verse. This is Jacob's mature faith that is giving testimony that we have to believe God, the Almighty God, the El Shaddai for the impossible. Look at me verse number 11. It says this. Excuse me. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Do you love this? Do you see God's grace just abundantly overflowing in the life of Jacob? Jacob didn't expect to even see Joseph ever again. Why? Because he thought he was, he was dead. He thought he was gone. He thought he was murdered there in the wilderness by a wild beast. God has done not only the impossible of saving Joseph's life in the midst of impossible odds, but not only has he reunited Joseph with Jacob, but he has given him an extra measure of grace in allowing Jacob to now be a part of his grandson's lives to see Joseph's offspring. God is so good. God is so good, not only here, but is he not that good in our lives? Do we look past the extra measure of God's grace in our life? You can look to your left or to your right. In each one of these pews, we see family units. We see children, we see spouses, we see the beauty of the Christian family. Not only has God saved you, but he has given you what? A family, a spouse, children. He's given you a context, he's given you an extra measure of grace in your life to not just save you, but to bless you in many ways. To come alongside and grow you, to mature you through difficulty, through trouble, through through success, through wins, through failures. We see Jacob acknowledging the goodness of the Lord in his life. Let me ask you this, are you believing God today for the impossible? What hurdle, what difficulty, what struggle are you going through? Are you losing faith? Have you fail to recognize and remember who God is and what he's done for you. It's interesting here to note that not only does God allow Jacob to see once again face to face his beloved son Joseph, but he, meaning God, goes even above and beyond what Jacob can even imagine again and allowing him to see these grandsons. I can't help but think of what Ephesians chapter 3 
Verses 14 through 20, it says this, For this reason I bow by my knees, Paul says, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches, excuse me, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Is that not the testimony of Jacob's mature faith in chapter 48? That God has done the impossible and he's done far more abundantly Above all that we can ask or think, this is the God that we serve. This is who he is. This is how he operates in this world to surpass and exceed and to go far above anything that we can ask or think. But guess what? God doing far more abundantly than what we ask or think, sometimes it doesn't always look like what we would want it to look like or what we think it should look like. Our expectations of what it looks like for God to go far more abundantly above all that we could ask or think many times looks different than what we think it should be. The road that Jacob has gone in his family, in his life, the loss, the, the difficulty, the struggle, I guarantee you that in the midst of those specific situations, Jacob wasn't thinking, hey, this is God working in my life to do far more abundantly above all that I could ask or think. But here he is at the end of his life looking back and his testimony is just that. God has done the impossible and he's even gone above and beyond what I could ever imagine or ever hope for. This is the God that we serve, the God of the impossible. And the mature faith of Jacob hopes and trusts and believes that God is still the God of the impossible. So Jacob's mature faith reminds us, one, to never forget the promises of God, to two, to continually trust God for the impossible. This brings us to our third and final observation, and I'll, I'll be quick here, uh, concerning this mature faith of Jacob's. It's this, Jacob's mature faith reminds us to continually trust God's perfect wisdom. Jacob's mature faith reminds us to continually trust God's perfect wisdom. Wisdom in this final section of chapter 48, as we read through it in its entirety during our scripture reading, we see that Joseph's expectations of how Jacob was to bless his sons didn't quite match up with what he thought it was going to be. There's some conflict here. And how ironic 
it is here that Jacob would bless the younger over the older, but yet he would do it in full transparency. No deceit, no scheming, no taking advantage of your father. This is simply Jacob under the sovereignty of the Lord obeying the work of the Lord and passing on this covenant blessing in the way that he was to do it. Look back to verse number five. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh, shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Ephraim and Manasseh, in terms of blessing and birthright, are being elevated, how? To literal sons of whom? Not just Joseph, but also of, of Jacob. This is, this is a big deal. So not only will Joseph receive a specific portion and blessing from Jacob as a result, as, as a result of being um, Jacob's favored son and the, the covenant blessing being passed on from Jacob directly to Joseph, but his sons will inherit directly from that blessing as a part of, of Jacob's household, not just from Joseph's household. Let's talk about the actual blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. Once again, we have the birthright being stowed in a non-conforming uh, cultural way, right? Uh, we have the younger being blessed over the older. Now, this doesn't seem maybe in our context that big of a deal, right? But back in biblical times, this certainly would have been almost a scandalous type of uh, situation. I mean, it literally just did not happen, right? If you were the oldest brother, you were, you had a literal, almost a legal and cultural right to this birthright, to this blessing from the father as being the oldest male in the household. But here we have, generation from generation, We have God remaining to be sovereign in these particular instances and cases to ensure that this line, this covenant blessing is passed on in a very specific way that God is orchestrating, that God is maintaining, and that God is sustaining from generation to generation. We know that Joseph here in this situation is taken back, right? He expected Jacob to bless the older son, which would have been the expected, again, cultural norm. If anyone would have, would have known that God often works in supernatural and unconventional ways, would Joseph not have had that testimony and understanding? I mean, God has worked in Joseph's life. He's worked in the entire known world at that time in very unconventional and supernatural ways, right? To take Joseph out of the land of Canaan, 
to put him in Egypt and to put him over all of the land of Egypt, that is rare. <laughs> that shouldn't have happened, right? So we have Joseph literally a, a, a living testament to God in his supernatural and unique and unconventional ways. We have that Joseph trying to put God into a what? A, a box of no, 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 Jacob. This is this is not how this is supposed to go, right? Let's. You got your hands crossed up. I know your sight's getting a little dim. Let me help you here. I've got this son here, this son here. Let's switch some hands up. Older, younger. Let's get it right. Okay, unpause. Go right. This is, this is kind of Joseph trying to do the little puppet master here, right? Joseph expected God to bless the older son. But here it is, Jacob, in his mature faith, in his final days, that will have nothing else but direct obedience to God's plan. Here we have Jacob, the deceiver, the schemer, the manipulator. We have that Jacob here, believing that God's way is best, even if it doesn't make sense. God's way is best. We have that Jacob taking a stand, leading Joseph, this global leader, Reminding Joseph of God's plan and God's way. So what does Jacob do? Jacob places his right hand, the strong arm, representative of the birthright of blessing. He places this hand on the head of Ephraim. He places his left hand on Manasseh. He intentionally crosses his arm and proceeds to deliver what some commentators have called the threefold invocation of God. This is a beautiful prayer and declaration that this mature faith of Jacob proclaims. What does Jacob proclaim here concerning the Lord? He says this, one, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. So these three elements of this prayer or blessing is that this is the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God who has been my shepherd all of my days, and the angel who has redeemed me from evil. I can remember preaching through chapters where Jacob was present and we called out in certain chapters that Jacob makes no mention of God. He's operating seemingly disconnected from God at times, doing his own thing in his own way, in his own time. Whether it be managing livestock or taking a wife or stealing a, a birthright. Jacob has gone rogue time after time again, but here, in these final days of Jacob, we have him giving testimony of who God is to him. 
He's the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. He is the God who has been my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Guides, directs the flock, he protects the flock. This is who God has been to Jacob, a, a care, caring shepherd in his life, all of his days as he reflects back on. Even the days and the times when Jacob seemingly was going rogue and it was an angel who has redeemed me from evil. These declarations, in my opinion, are, are so beautiful as we consider the grace enabled growth in the life of Jacob. Has not his faith matured over the years? What a testimony Jacob has here, right? You see it there in those, those verses, verses 15 through 16. This beautiful testimony of who God is to Jacob at times where we wonder, does Jacob even have a relationship with God? Does he even care about God's opinion on his life, his actions? He certainly has a relationship with the Lord now. Look at me at the language of verse number 19. Skip down to that verse. It says this, but his father refused. Joseph speaks up. Again, he, he's attempting to correct his father. And here's the commitment that Jacob has to follow the will of the Lord and to do things in the way that God has directed him to do. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. Jacob empathizes with Joseph and assures him that Manasseh will too become a great people, but Joseph, Joseph excuse me, stays the course. And in a way, what is Jacob doing here with Joseph? He's teaching, he's discipling Joseph in a way. What is he teaching him? He's teaching Joseph that God's ways are not always in alignment with man's ways. Let me say that one more time. Jacob is teaching Joseph that God's ways are not always in alignment with man's ways. And many times they're not in alignment with man's ways, right? And as such, this is what Jacob is teaching Joseph. It is always best to trust the perfect wisdom, the perfect wisdom of El Shaddai, the all-knowing, all-wise God who has sustained his walk, who has been a faithful shepherd, and the God who has redeemed his life from evil. It is this God that Jacob learned to trust over his lifetime, and it is the same God that we can learn to trust even in our life today. What about you? Are you looking at your life and are you observing crossed arms and scratching your head and wondering, God, what are you doing? This, this doesn't make sense. You, the, the left hand's supposed to go over here. The right hand's supposed to go over here. Why, why you got them crossed up? God, what are you doing? I, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. And friends, can't we spend so much time scratching our head and spinning our wheels and trying to understand what God is doing, and we simply need to be still and know that He is God. Friends, we don't always have to have the answer to the why behind what God is doing. 
But what we know to be true about God is that even if we have questions, even if the question marks are there, even if we don't understand the why, we can still trust, we can still believe, we can still hope, we can still follow. Because we know that God is always faithful to fulfill his covenant promises. think back at different times in my life where I've observed circumstances and it seemed like cross arms made no sense and I attempted to correct the sovereign plan of the Lord take the reins back and make my own decisions in my own time in my own way creates trouble creates difficulty creates despair Friends, through the testimony of Jacob's mature faith this evening, God is calling us back to a place of submitting to the sovereign and perfect plan of the Lord. He's calling us back to a place of trusting and believing and walking in obedience. And ultimately, God's grace will mature our faith, mature our relationship with the Lord as we remember this evening that God will always be faithful to fulfill his covenant promises. And as such, the mature believer can be confident that despite circumstances, despite the uncertainty, despite the crossed arms of the Lord, we can be sure and confident that the redemptive work of the Lord will continue on. We'll be faithful to his people. It will not fail. How do we be sure of that? Friends, it didn't fail then, and it hasn't failed from generation to generation. Now, thousands of years later, we can be confident that God's word is true because of the testimony and the life and the living that we see right here in Jacob and Joseph and his sons. We can be confident that God will continue to do that work until he calls us home to glory and mature faith. Genesis 48. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this evening that we can place our complete confidence, hope, and trust in you. Father God, I pray that if there's somebody here this evening that may be struggling, that may be doubting, that may be fearful or anxious because of different circumstances that may be going on in the personal life with me. As we consider our culture, all the uncertainty of the circumstances that are going on through a global pandemic, and, uh, just different orders and mandates and uh, things that are going on, Father, we can, we can allow those things to negatively impact our faith and our perception and our relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that you would breathe new wings of hope into our life, to revive our hearts, revive our faith. And I thank you, even as I reflect back in uh, Luke chapter number 22, verses 31 and 32, it's foretold of Peter's denial. And he said to Simon, to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Christ, you said, but I have prayed for you, Peter. What did you pray? You pray that your faith will not fail. Not only did you 
give Peter the hope that his faith would not fail, but you went on to say, when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. That's called the testimony. That's called life experience in the midst of difficult circumstances. You use the trouble and the difficulty of life to give us a testimony so we can use that in our relationships with others. Father, I pray that you would mature our faith, that you would take us from babes in Christ and that you would, through the equipping of the Word of God, through our own personal reading, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we would grow, that we would no longer be tossed about by the wind of doctrine, but we would be mature believers, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord for such a time as this. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, and our light would shine bright for your glory. Let us would see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Father, I thank you for what we learned from Jacob. We thank you for not giving up on him, for maturing his faith, for giving him testimony and influence and impact, a legacy in his family, even for us today that we can learn and grow from. Pray that the truth of us as well. Thank you for what you're going to do into our lives. Father, let us not just be curious of the word, but now let us be doers of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus' name.